The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at www.harmonybible.org. So we've been working through the book of Colossians, and I said uh, that we were going to be moving through the book in third gear, and then I said we're going to get to verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1, and we're going to slow down, and we have slowed way down. Last week we looked at verse 16. Today we're going to look primarily at verse 17. All right, in reality, we're going to look at only verse 17. We're going to be looking at verse 17, and we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus and the fact that Jesus is God. But the book of Colossians as a whole speaks to the sufficiency of Christ, the fact that Christ is all that we need. And as we've worked through these verses, these verses 15 through 20, these last couple of weeks, we've seen how Paul has really focused on the deity of Christ, the fact that Jesus is God. And as we've done so, we've seen that this doctrine is not exclusive to the book of Colossians, but it is instead taught throughout the entire Bible. And Paul, in Colossians 1 through 1, verses 15 through 20, he stresses this important truth, this important doctrine that Jesus is God, because he knows that heresies are threatening this church in Colossae. He knows that this church in Colossae says they're strong, they're growing, that their faith is heard about from others, and that they're bearing fruit and they're growing in the knowledge of God. But he also knows that an enemy is creeping in. An enemy is coming in and, he's, and they're saying, you need more than Jesus. Jesus is great, but there's something more to be had. And Paul wants to make sure that they understand that Jesus is sufficient. That He is all that they need and all that they will ever need. So let's keep that in mind as we look at our text this morning. We're going to be looking at Colossians 1, 15-20. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Colossians 1, verses 15-20. through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will, have, will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So as we've looked at verses 15 through 20, Paul stresses the deity of Christ by saying that He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, He's the exact representation of His nature. He's saying that Jesus is not merely a picture of God, but that He is the very substance of God. That He is God in the flesh. And he goes on to say that He is the firstborn of all creation. That He holds a special place over creation. That He's not just the first thing created, but that He stands above all of the created world. For He created the created world. Then, 
Paul tells us that Jesus is the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Redeemer of all things. And last week we looked at Jesus as Creator. So this week we're going to focus on verse 15, or verse 17, excuse me, as we study Jesus as the one who sustains all things. Verse 17, Jesus as the one who sustains all things. Look at verse 17 once more with me. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The term hold together, when he says Christ in Christ all things hold together, this term hold together comes from the Greek word synistomai, which means to stand together, or to be compacted together, or to cohere, or to say to be constituted with. The sense conveyed is that Jesus not only created the world, but that He keeps it functioning the way it should. That He holds every part in place. I got up this morning before the sunrise, as I typically do on Sunday mornings. If you know me well, you know that's not my normal practice, unless it's Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday mornings, I'm usually up quite early. And and as I looked out the window, I thought, the sun is coming. And I knew that the sun was coming. Why? Because the sun came up yesterday, and the day before, and the day before that, and I knew that the sun was coming. But not only because it had happened in the past, but because I knew that God is sustaining His creation. That He keeps the earth functioning the way it should. And what this passage tells us is that Jesus is the reason the earth continues to rotate on its axis. He's the reason the earth year after year after year continues to orbit the sun. You see, He not only wrote the laws of science, laws such as the laws of thermodynamics or the law of inertia, the law of gravity, He is the one who sustains them. That if I drop that water bottle on the floor, it will continue to fall to the floor every time I let go. Not just because there's some scientific law that says so, but because God causes it to happen every single time. He wrote that law. He sustains that law. He is the force behind those laws. You know, in my studies this week, I was reading about molecular science and just reading about how even scientists aren't really sure what holds a nucleus of an atom together. And I don't understand how all this works. You know, I, I made it through high school science, but barely. Right? When, you, when you really don't know how to do much of anything, there's two things in life you can do. You can sell, which I do, right, through the week. And you can go to Bible college, which, well, anyway. So, I, I made it through high school science. But the point of this, of what I'm saying, is as I was studying, I really I found that there's, there's a force that even scientists can't figure out that holds the nucleus of an atom together, that holds uh, protons together and keeps them from flying apart. And nobody's really sure why. And they call this various things the great force, the, the great nuclear force. And Scripture says, it's God. It's God who causes all of this to happen. He even says in, in uh, 2 Peter, he says that, At some point, God's going to loosen that. That's no longer going to happen. And that these things will dissolve. See, God is the one who sustains His creation. Many people today uh, don't necessarily hold to this. Uh, Many people today we would call deists. And they believe in God, but they don't believe that He intervenes in His creation. They have this idea that God set the world in motion, but that He's largely uninvolved in His creation. 
That he's like a watchmaker who winds up a watch and then leaves it to run its course. In fact, the most prevalent religion of our day, I would say, at least in America, is moralistic, therapeutic deism. And I did not make that up. right? I just borrowed that. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Which basically holds that there's a God who exists, who created and ordered the world and watches over it. And this God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. That the central goal of life is to feel happy. To be happy and to feel good about oneself. That God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And that good people, lastly, that good people go to heaven when they die. That's what most people, I think, in America believe. They have this moralistic, right? Do good, do what's right, therapeutic. God is there when we need Him. I don't want Him to interfere in my life. But when I need Him, He'll be there to bail me out, to be my therapist. Deism. That He's a God who's kind of distant, not approachable, oversees His creation, but isn't really involved. Deism, however, is contrary to Scripture. It's completely contrary to Scripture. So in order for one to embrace such a belief system, they must throw out the Bible and dismiss the revelation of God's Word. In fact, Benjamin Franklin, uh, who was a known deist, said that he rejected revelation thoroughly. In writing about his religious views, he said, I came to a place where I rejected revelation and I became thoroughly convinced that I was a deist. He said, I rejected revelation because you cannot be a deist and believe God's Word. God's Word clearly says that God not only created the world, but that He holds it in order. That He is the one who is sustaining it. This isn't exclusive to the book of Colossians either. Listen to the following Scripture references. Romans 11, verses 33-36. through Oh, the depth. Paul, in writing through Romans, he gets to chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, he just breaks out in praise. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How unfathomable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him? For from Him... And through Him, through His sustaining work, and to Him for His glory, are all things to Him be the glory forever, Paul says. Or Hebrews 1, verses 1-3. through God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. That He upholds all things in His power. Or Psalm 104.24-33 O Lord, how majestic are Your works! In wisdom You've made them all. The earth is full of Your possessions. There is the sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both small and great. The ships are moving along in Leviathan, which you have formed to sport in it. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. 
You give to them. They gather it up. You open their hand. They are satisfied with good. You hide your face. They are dismayed. You take away their spirit. They expire and return to the dust. You send forth your spirit. They are created. And you renew the face of the ground. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in His works. The the whole point of the Scripture is not just that God created and then walked away, but that He created and He continues to sustain His creation. You see, the Scripture teaches clearly and plainly that God sustains His creation. And by saying that Jesus is the Creator and the Sustainer, Paul is saying Jesus is God. Paul is making a very emphatic claim. Many believe that this, these verses 15-20 through 20 were an early hymn of the, of the church, the early church. That they were a hymn and that Paul's actually quoting this song that they would sing about Christ. Because there's so much information in these verses about the person of Jesus. But the thing that Paul wants us to know is that Jesus created the world and Jesus sustains the world. Therefore, Jesus is God. Because that is a work of God. Now, I want to spend the remainder of our time, I did all that in a few minutes, the remainder of our time, considering some of the implications of this truth. If Jesus sustains all things, I want to talk about the implications of that as well as the application of that. How does that affect the way we live. What are the implications and then how does that affect the way we live? First, let's consider the implications. Number one, He is sovereign. Number one, He is sovereign. If Jesus is both creator and sustainer of all things, this means that He is sovereign over creation. See, the idea of sovereignty carries with it the idea of supreme power or authority. In other words, He has the right to do whatever He chooses. And the power to see that it's accomplished. Not only does God have the right to do whatever He chooses, He has the power to see that it is accomplished. Last week, and I stand by this statement by the way, I think it was last week, I said that God is not a victim of circumstance. And I think sometimes we have such a small view of God that we think God is a victim of of circumstance, of what happens. And that He's in heaven wringing His hands and going, oh boy, I wish things hadn't turned out that way. Or, oh, well I know I wrote Revelation already and the ink's dry. I hope they don't mess things up so bad that it's not going to play out that way. Right? He knows the beginning from the end. He is the beginning and the end. That God is is sovereign. He's in control. And He's orchestrating the events of history. And if we're going to say that Jesus is sustaining all things, we must say that He is sovereign. Because someone who is not sovereign cannot sustain anything. As Charles Spurgeon said, he said, I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam, does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. You hear that? That when the sun shines through that window and we see the dust floating in the air, that not a particle 
of dust goes anywhere but where God wants it to go. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to believe that. I think on some level it's easy for us to believe that, but then when I'm driving home, right, and my check engine light comes on, which by the way this week my check engine light has been on, when that comes on it's like, what is going on? Things are spiraling out of control. I believe that God orchestrates and that He he controls the dust that floats in the air, but the check engine light is bigger than He could possibly handle and outside of His sovereign hand. Right? No. Every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That He is the one who is in control. And I use the check engine light analogy, but let's be real. Even as mothers shared up here, many of the women that were up here shared how they have children in heaven. We think a check engine light seems to pale in comparison. And yet, we have to believe. We have to believe that God sustains all things. That His sovereign hand is in control. And that we may not see, we'll get there, we'll talk talk about that in a second, we may not see all of why things happen the way that they do, but we know that He is in control because He's sustaining it. And only a sovereign God can sustain His creation. Justin Taylor from the Gospel Coalition compiled a, what I believe is a great list of Scripture references that speak to the sovereignty of God. He says, Justin Taylor, this is not my work, but his work, but really all that it is is Scripture. He says, God is sovereign over all these things. And I'll, I'll read each of them. God is sovereign over seemingly random things. Proverbs 16.33 The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God is sovereign over the heart of the most powerful person in the land. So we just read that the lot's cast into the lap, that if I roll a pair of dice, that those die land where God wants them to land. Now we read, God is sovereign over the heart of the most powerful person in the land. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. If we ever needed a word of encouragement, I would say today is the day for that. That as we reflect on where our governments are headed, as we reflect on where our leaders are headed, as we reflect on maybe leaders who once said they knew God, maybe they looked at God as like a a distant uncle, not a heavenly father. Now we seem to have leaders who do not even recognize God. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. We must trust His sovereign hand. Also, God is sovereign over our daily lives and plans. Proverbs 20, 24. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Or Proverbs 19, 21. One of my, probably my favorite. I have lots of favorite scripture passages, but this is my favorite scripture passage. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Right? The mind of a man directs his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. God is sovereign over salvation. Romans 9, 15-16 I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. 
So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Or Acts 13.48, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. God is sovereign over life and death. Deuteronomy 32.39 See now that I, even I, am He. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver you out of my hand. God is sovereign over disabilities. Exodus 4.11 The Lord said to Moses, Who has made the man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Isn't it not I, the Lord? God is sovereign over the death of God's of His Son. Acts 2.23 Jesus, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by lawless men. So he says, Jesus was delivered up according to the plan of God. That God had the plan and foreknowledge to orchestrate this. He doesn't neglect human responsibility. He doesn't say, this is God. God killed Jesus. But he does say, God killed Jesus, right? Through the hands of men. That men were used in that lawless deed. It's not outside of God's sovereign will. God is sovereign over evil things. Here's a tough one. Amos 3.6 Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Or Genesis 50.21 The same idea of God is sovereign over evil things. Joseph said, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring, about it, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then lastly, Justin Taylor says, God is sovereign over all things. Ephesians 1.11, God works all things according to the counsel of His will. Or Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Or Job 42.2, Job says, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You see, the point is that Jesus is God, and He is sovereign. Not only does He have the desire to sustain all things, He has the ability to do so. That He has the ability to sustain His work. So having seen that He is sovereign, we need to also see the second implication, and that is that He is faithful. See, Jesus is not like me, who starts a project and never finishes it. I remember when I was, um, when I was a kid, my parents had a tandem bicycle, an antique tandem bicycle, you know, bicycle built for two, right? And I decided I was going to take it apart and paint it, because it would be a good idea, it needed a paint job, it was a little rusty, and I think when they moved, when I was... Uh, 25 or 30 years old, or however old I was, when they finally they sold their house and moved into a smaller house, I think they ended up throwing away the bicycle, which never got put back together. Right? It got painted, but it never got put back together. And with that, they also threw away a TV stand that I was going to build, because you know, I shouldn't make furniture. I can sell furniture, but I shouldn't make furniture. I decided to build a TV stand, and I, got, I went to the lumber yard and probably bought $7,000 worth of material and had 2x4s and 4x4s and I don't know what they were and all this stuff. And it was just this big mess of wood nailed together that I never finished. But God's not like me who starts a project and doesn't finish it. Instead, Jesus is faithful to complete that which He started. 
Colossians 1.22 says, Yet he, has, he now has reconciled you in the flesh, in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That he one day will present us before him holy and blameless. That he's going to finish that work. Or Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. He's going to perfect it. Or Hebrews 12, too. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. Or 1 Corinthians 1.8, who will also, Jesus, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus sustains all things because He is faithful to accomplish that which He starts. That He is faithful to finish, to follow through. And therefore, He continues to sustain His creation. Having seen that He is sovereign and He is faithful, we also see that He is wise. He always knows what is best. That His sustaining work, He doesn't make mistakes in His sustaining work. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. That's probably why I didn't finish the TV stand. You get to a point where you go, one too many mistakes, I'm backing away from this project and I'm going to leave it undone. God does not say that. Isaiah 46, 9-10 Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been things which have not been done saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Proverbs 19:21 Many plans are in a man's heart but the counsel of the Lord will stand, right? We talked about Proverbs 6:19 the mind of a man plans his ways but the Lord directs his steps. Or probably the passage that jumps out to us when we think about the wisdom of God over and above our wisdom is Isaiah 55, 8-9 through that says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Praise God that He does not think like we do. That He is wise and always makes the right decision. You know, last month, we, uh, our memory verse, um, we looked at uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 was last month. And um, as we looked at that, the, the verse says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for uh, welfare and prosperity, give you a future and a hope. I was thinking about that and thinking the context in which that is written. That these people have just been taken from their homes. Their women have been raped, children have been murdered, they've been taken from their homes and transplanted to a land that's not theirs. And God says, settle down and stay a while. Seek the welfare of the city that you're living in. These people who did these horrible things to you took away everything you owned. Seek their welfare. Right? For I have plans to prosper you. And you think, I'm sorry God. But if you had plans to prosper me, you would have left me in my homeland, in my house, with my family. But God's ways are not our ways. 
that sometimes the means through which God blesses us and uses us and strengthens us are ways we would not choose. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And I can't tell you that the trials that you go through, that you'll always see how God's going to use them for your good. But I can say, He's going to use them for your good. Romans 8, 28 and 29, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose, right? For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of God, the, the image of His Son. We have this idea that God's going to cause all things to work together for good, and that looks like me getting a motorcycle. See how I did that? I fit motorcycle in the text. That looks like, because it's what I want for good, and God says, no, your idea of good is not my idea of good. My idea of good might be, Jason Polly, that your house, when you go home, has burned to the ground and there is nothing left. And I say, whoa, really? And he says, God causes all things to work together for good to make you more like Jesus. That's what good is. That whatever it takes to make you more like Jesus, God's going to use those circumstances in your life to make you more like Jesus. His Son. And I pray that for you. i got to tell you, I pray that constantly. Bring whatever you need to bring into Bill Batty's life to make him more like Jesus, whatever it is. Right? Bring whatever you need to bring into Lucy and Dale's life. Or bring whatever you need to bring into T's life. Whoever it is, I, I pray that. I, whatever it takes to make you more like Jesus. That's what God promises. Because His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He has greater plans and desires, greater wisdom to bring about, to sustain our lives the way He would sustain them. C.S. Lewis once said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is, what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, he is wise. He does not simply desire to sustain all things. He in wisdom is able to do so. He doesn't have just this desire to sustain all things. He is able to do so. And he does so without mistake. So having seen that he is sovereign, that he is faithful, and that he is wise, we also see that he is jealous. That he seeks to bring glory to himself. That he sustains his creation so that he might be glorified. Isaiah 49, or 48, excuse me, verses 9-11. through 11. For the sake of my name I delay my wrath, and for my praise I restrain it. For you, in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake and for my sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? Isaiah 43, 6-7 I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my Glory. Or Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 12. Speaking of the church, we have received, we have received an, 
an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. He works all things in accordance with His will, with His plan and His wisdom, to that end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. That He is doing it so that He might be glorified. And God is not wrong in seeking His glory. When I seek glory, it is wrong. For I am not worthy of that glory. But He is. He is worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. So He's sustaining the earth, sustaining His creation, sustaining our lives, holding all things together so that He might be glorified. So let's review. Paul has clearly testified that Jesus is God by saying that He is not only Creator, but also Sustainer of all things, that He holds all things together. And the implications that we considered are number one, that He is sovereign. He has the power to sustain His creation. Number two, that He is faithful, that He will carry it through to completion, that He will do it. Number three, that He is wise. Unlike us, He is infinitely wise, infinitely uh, right in the decisions that He chooses. And number four, He is jealous. He, he sustains creation in order to bring glory to Himself. So the question is this, how do we apply all of this to our lives personally and corporately as a church? How do we, come, how do we take what we just learned and then apply it to our lives here, both as individuals when we go to work tomorrow morning or wherever we go on Monday morning? And how do we also do it as a church? Well, we must know the real Jesus. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus is God. That we need to worship the Jesus who is revealed in the Scriptures, the one who is sovereign and faithful and wise and jealous, the Jesus who is truly God. And we must reject the religion of the day. The moralistic, therapeutic deism. The religion that says, well, if I keep a bunch of rules and I look to God to bail me out of trouble when I do something wrong, when I'm in desperate need of help, or if a family member or a friend gets diagnosed with cancer, then I'll look to God. But only then will I look to God. We must reject the religion of the day and live wholeheartedly for the One who is involved in and sustains His creation. And as we do so, we must remember those implications and let them serve as applications. We must remember that, number one, He is sovereign. We must trust in His mighty and powerful hand. I've met Christians who have doubted the sovereignty of God or had a hard time wrapping their mind around the sovereignty of God, and so do I. Right? I, I, I struggle sometimes to understand how God is sovereign because I'm not. And I struggle to think of a God who not only can choose anything He wants and has the right to do so, but the power to do so. It makes my head hurt sometimes when I think about that. But I cannot imagine living a life that does not believe in the sovereignty of God. When uh, Morgan was... When Kim was pregnant with Morgan, I remember the doctor saying, um, we, we did the whole um, ultrasound thing, and they said, 
uh, you need to go to Portland and we need to have some special, we need to have some tests done. It was pretty clear just by the look on the tech's face that something was going on. And we got there and I remember the doctor saying, well, there's a couple of spots on her heart which are an indication of a, of a birth defect. She probably uh, will not live more than a couple of days after she is born, if, if she is born. And she has a couple of brain tumors on her brain. And therefore, um, you, you, we need to make you aware of this. And we said, okay. Um, so, what, what, what is that going to do for us, of being aware of that? And they said, well, you need to know in case you want to terminate the pregnancy. And, and they said, uh, and I said, well, we're, we're Christians and we're not going to do that. We, we will not do that. And they said, would you like counseling? And I said, would you like counseling, right? Because I believe in a God who is sovereign. And whatever God brought into our hand, He was the one who was in control. Would I have looked forward to it? No. Would it have been hard? Yes. Would it have made me more like Jesus? Yes, because He works all things together to make us more like Christ. I cannot believe, I cannot imagine being a Christian on this earth and not believing in the sovereignty of God. And if you are there, I don't know how you do it. And I pray that you will look to God and see that His mighty and powerful hand is the one who is sustaining all things. We must remember that He is sovereign. We must remember that He is faithful. He's faithful. He's going to carry it through to completion. That He will finish that which He starts in our lives. That He will carry me through to heaven and continue to make me more like Christ day by day. And you know what? He'll do that with us as a church as well. It's not up to me. Praise God. Because if it was up to me, right, this place would be a wreck. It already is a wreck. It would be worse if it was up to me, right, because we are sinners. Right, we're sinners. And yet God says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I am going to accomplish that which I will accomplish. Right? And we're just called to be faithful as He is faithful. Number three, we must remember that He is wise. We must remember and trust in the fact that He chooses what is best. may not see it. may not understand it. I certainly don't. And I encourage you to believe these truths now. Because when when you're on the other side of a difficult trial, I can't come to you and share these truths with you. You know that. If you've been through a difficult trial, if you've lost a loved one, even Mother's Day, reflecting on, mother, pray, on mothers, praise God that many of you have mothers that you can celebrate today. Many do not. And thinking about that, whose mothers have passed on, it's a trial. And in order pr- to prepare for that trial, we must remember that He is sovereign, that He is faithful, that He is wise, that He chooses the things that we would not choose. Because in those moments, it's hard to believe that. So we prepare our minds and believe them in advance. That if I have to come to you when you're, lay, when you're sitting in a hospital and your child is laying in a hospital bed dying, I cannot say, it's hard for me to say, He is sovereign, He is faithful, He is wise. But if you believe that beforehand, then it's so much easier to open the Scriptures and let the Scriptures speak to you of that truth. I just encourage you to believe that, to trust that, to know the real Jesus. He is wise. He'll bring about that which is right in our lives personally and in the life of this church. And He is jealous. We must live in such a way 
that we're always seeking to bring Him glory, seeking to bring Him honor. That it's not about us. It's not about us individually. It's not about us as a church. That it's about Him and His glory and His glory alone. Let us pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. God, I pray and ask that You'd be with us now. That You'd encourage us. God, that You'd help us to see that not only have You created all things in this world, but that You are sustaining them. God, that every moment that I, every breath that I breathe, every moment that I'm alive, that it is only because of Your sustaining hand. God, that every time I get up and know that the sun is going to come up, it's only because You caused that to happen. Help us to live in such a way that we are remembering and believing these truths. Help us to remember that You are sovereign, that You are faithful, that You are wise, and that You are jealous. God, may we live in such a way that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we are doing it all for Your glory. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomason, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Harmony Bible Church, visit www.harmonybible.org. God bless, and to God be the glory.